Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, where we present informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. My co-host, Rubina Chaudhry, is off today. Our show, which began in September of 2019, was formally known as the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. As with Senior Straight Talk, all episodes of the previous show can be heard on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and can be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. Please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. A few weeks ago, I began to introduce short news items at the top of the show. You can now hear Senior News Today on my YouTube channel at Phyllis Amon Associates. Please like, click, and share, and subscribe. Also, for those listeners feeling stressed, stretched, and overwhelmed, help is here. Resilience Toolbox Secrets will help you recharge, reset, and recommit as you face life's challenges. You can find them on my website as phyllisamonassociates.com. The Kindle version of my book, Dignity and Respect, Are Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve, is now on Amazon. I appreciate your support and hope you'll be able to post a positive review to help spread the word on this all-important issue. Now for the news item for today. The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services has announced that 125,506 individuals from 7,313 nursing homes have completed the CMS training to help nursing home staff combat the spread of COVID-19. However, this represents approximately only 12.5% of the approximate 1 million staff members who work in the over 15,000 nursing homes in the country. CMS reports that it has provided nursing homes with $20 billion in federal funding, which includes some PPE, free testing machines and supplies, and significant technical assistance and on-the-ground support. It's worth noting, however, that there were reports that some of the machines received by the nursing homes were faulty and gave false positive results. With coronavirus cases increasing across the country and infection control identified as a major issue that contributed to the spread in nursing homes, the CMS director encourages all nursing homes to take advantage of this no-cost opportunity to train their staff. At this juncture, I want to thank Peter DeGeer of DeGeer Therapy Services, who is a colleague and consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. And now for my guest of today. I'm so happy to introduce Jan Hively. We met just a few weeks ago, and I'm thrilled that she was willing to share her time with me today on Senior Straight Talk. So, For the listeners, I'll tell you a little bit about her. After a career in city planning and administration, Jan Hively earned her PhD from the University of Minnesota in 2001 at the age of 69 with a dissertation on productive aging in rural communities. Since then, she's focused on education and advocacy for positive aging. Jan co-founded several thriving networks that support positive aging, including the Vital Aging Network, the Shift Network, and a global exchange, and the Pass It On Network. 
As an Encore Purpose Prize Fellow, Dr. Hively is a nationally and internationally recognized presenter and consultant for programs that engage older adult leadership and support. Meaningful work, paid or unpaid, through the last breath. So thanks so much for being here uh, with me today, Jan. We met a few weeks ago, and we've enjoyed some wonderful conversations. So I'm so glad that you were able to be here with me today. Thank you so much, Phyllis. I must say that people who are listening should know that you're a wonderful conversationalist because we have been on the phone and very easily passed an hour and a half. I think it was the last call. Right, right. <laughs> it's a very, you're a wonderfully interesting woman, and it's a great pleasure to be on this program. Oh, thanks so much. So I'd love for you to give the listeners a synopsis of your years in advocacy and the evolution that brought you to create and found the Pass It On Network. Okay. Well, I, I've been an advocate pretty much all my life. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I, I undergraduate at Radcliffe at uh, Harvard. Um, I was a president of World Federalists, and then I got involved with uh, various things with the National League of Women Voters, including in, in concerns about the environment uh, and et cetera, et cetera. But I think that what we need to start with is how I happened to get into this field of thinking about gerontology and aging. And that happened at a, a state meeting of the county commissioners in the state of Minnesota. I had been working as a senior fellow uh, close to retirement um, at, uh, around the state of Minnesota, uh, connecting school districts with communities uh, to do a better job of integrating workplace learning and classroom learning along with the uh, with uh, uh, community service learning. Uh, uh, so that because I know that um, uh, work is simply productivity that benefits you or your family or your community and the skills that are related to uh, productivity, whether it's anywhere from leadership to simply getting up in the morning and getting to work on time, being there with a smile on your face, all of those things are learned wherever we are. Uh, and I, what, I, what I was interested in was the fact that the president of, that, uh, of the whole state uh, county commissioners uh, said, well, when she was asked, what, what is your biggest problem? what is the biggest problem facing the state of Minnesota? She said, our biggest problem is aging. Oh, wow. And there I was in the audience. I was then 67 years old. And I thought, well, you know, you can look at it differently. <laughs> that's, that's one alternative. But it, it is interesting because I, I got involved then uh, in a study uh, of the uh, state that showed that the population of people uh, 60 and older was going to double by 2030. And of course, that means that what this county commissioner had said, that we're facing a tsunami uh, of people aging. <laughs> so what was going on I'm here? I'm laughing because it's funny or pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what I decided to do was I was due to do my PhD dissertation, I thought that it would be on life work planning with young people. But instead, I decided that we needed to look in these rural communities around the state 
from which the young people had gone off to uh, college and never come back uh, because of changes in the industrial uh, in, in uh, agriculture, particularly industrial agriculture. Uh, the, the people who were left behind, however, often the majority of the people in the, in the, uh, in the town uh, were 60 or older. And I, I started with a really ageist perspective thinking, oh dear, you know, how are these poor people being taken care of? <laughs> and what I found was this, as a result of doing a, 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 a 87-item survey, uh, in-depth, uh, interviewers were senior companions in, the, in those areas. Uh, and they were trained to do this in-depth interview uh, with uh, the total uh, the population that was necessary to make it valid research for counties in rural Minnesota. Uh, and uh, when I saw the results from that survey, I thought, oh, my God, this is amazing. Uh, I have made history here. <laughs> this is a different attitude right. because uh, what was 76% over three quarters described themselves as healthy and active up into their mid-80s. And uh, they had a, a, a very high level. 43% were still working, which was just amazing. 39% uh, were caring for, for people, uh, people with disabilities, people who are ill. Uh, as far as volunteer service was concerned, 63% were involved in, 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 uh, in uh, community service, mostly through their churches. But uh, they and many were caring for their grandkids because their children were, were employed and they had to drive many miles to a job. And of course, they needed to have their children cared for before and after school. Uh, the, the story here was this is extraordinary productive uh, population, much more so than you would find in the, in the city of the suburbs. Uh, and the uh, best thing about it was that 92% of them said that they were felt happy, uh, happiness uh, at this time of life and that they felt in control of their lives. Hmm. Actually, only 3% were taking from their kids the 97% were, uh, were giving to their kids. So, you know, it was amazing. And uh, what, what we did at the same time as we were doing the survey <clears throat> was to hold uh, what we called elders lead forums in these same counties. And we asked the question, what's most important to you? What, what's the, what, what means the most to you as you, mm -hmm. as you age in this community? And what we found from that, it ended up in being uh, many groups that fed into one large conference, but the answer was fairly consistent. What matters the most to me <clears throat> is being able to make decisions for myself as long as I'm alive, mm -hmm. as long as it's possible. Mm -hmm. And we called that self-determination. Right. Uh, the second had to do with economic financial security self-sufficiency, they called it, but we all know that nobody's actually self-sufficient. Right. It really was financial security. The third was community participation, social interaction. And the fourth was uh, just all those things related to quality of life. 
uh, particularly, of course, good health, mm -hmm. <laughs> basic to it all. Well, what was interesting is that it really, I, I felt, deserved a, a much greater commitment from my part because when I had been working with communities of city planning, I had been very focused on building on the strengths of that community. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in this case, it seemed as if that principle held over mm -hmm. because all of the system was focused on providing for the needs of frail elderly people. And when that uh, federal survey went out every other year, uh, as it's still going out, to the area agencies on aging around the country, uh, the people who were the providers of services were naturally concerned about the need for their services. Right, right, right. And they were the ones who answered the questions. <laughs> right. So, you know, that they, that, that, that's all that the focus was. And what had happened in these elders lead forums is that we were hearing the voices of, of the 60-year-olds mm. in kind of like a fishbowl. Right. The providers had to listen to them. So clearly, the first, first principle that came out for me was raise awareness about the potential of positive aging. Right. Raise awareness about the productivity of older adults. We had gotten, and we did that survey, we had uh, asked people how many hours they were assigning to these different functions. And what we found was that if you in included uh, community service and caregiving for sick and disabled, along with employment, that they were contributing in this four counties like 45 million a year. Mm, yes. Many of them would, would like to be employed but they were, had some disability. They didn't have transportation. They were isolated out on the farm, uh, et cetera. And so that was the other question. Well, the good news was that I had, since I had decided I was going to commit myself to this effort, um, uh, another question that I had, had asked on the survey was if they were short-term, low-cost uh, class courses, uh, learning to do, would you be interested in attending? And fortunately, 43%, 44% said yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so that meant that I could take those results to the guy who was uh, the, uh, had been my dean and was the provost of the university at that point and say, look at this. We need to raise awareness about the potential for positive aging and through our university, we need to get these people much more involved in learning and in earning, learning for earning. So he, kindly enough, uh, gave me 40000 a year for the next three years. Oh, how cool. And I started the Minnesota Vital Aging Network, uh, which now, fortunately, is still going. It's vital-aging-network.org. Uh, but what it, what it does was simply that, to raise awareness and uh, to cultivate support for what older adults say is most important. Uh, in other words, we were committed to community support for self-determination, economic security, community participation, and quality of life. I have been living my life since then, uh, really going around organizing people to do just that in peer networks because 
always my interest is in getting older adults themselves to spark each other mm -hmm. to assume the leadership that they have perfectly good capacity mm -hmm. for uh, given their their wisdom that comes from their experience right uh, and and that's what I've been doing you know it's interesting you say that just yesterday I had a conversation with a woman she does uh, public relations for a very large organization that um, encompasses a good number of the assisted living communities in the United States. And we were talking about this very thing in, in, a, um, in a different way, but, but it amounts to the same thing, that very often as people become older and they have children who are adults, the children think that they know what's best for that their parent or parents, and uh, being someone who works in the assisted living communities, we were talking about the fact how many times that either the adult children themselves come to look at the place for what they think the, uh, their parent needs, or the parent comes along, but they're really doing the questioning about what they think the parent needs. And how often do people turn to the parent and say, well, what would you like, or what do you feel you need, or, you know, where do you see yourself? How many people are really asking that question of the older adult? And I think that, you know, what you've done is tremendous because it brings attention to the fact that it's the older adult that we really need to be talking to. Uh, well, that, that uh, there actually, I've developed a couple of uh, teaching curriculums for that purpose. Uh, the first one was called Advocacy Leadership for Vital Aging. Mm -hmm. uh, we offered it through the University of Minnesota, and then we spread it out to their various uh, places around the, the state. Uh, and that was for older adults themselves to see their potential and to see their capacity as, uh, as advocates for themselves and others. Right. Uh, even if, it's, even if uh, it's a younger person, uh, it's still important to be able to work appropriately with the client as well as with uh, the facility, we'll say, uh, in that way. Uh, the second one, though, the second program, I think is much more directed to exactly what you were talking about. Uh, uh, it's the Advocacy Leadership for Positive Aging program, uh, which is a six-session program that basically... Uh, brings together people who are providing services for older adults, whether in the senior center, visiting nurse association, uh, the, the uh, you know the financial advisor, uh, the park director, the librarian. All of them can come together, and by the way, they get to know each other, and that's a good mm. thing too. See what each other's doing, but they are learn to see themselves in a different way. They thought that their job was to provide X service or X product to these old people. And they are schooled in that, frankly, by some of the, the training they've gotten in social work or whatever. Uh, instead, they need to be seeing themselves as training their clients, preparing their clients for the most self-management that they could possibly be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we, as a community, need to work on that, too. I've been very active here where I live in Yarmouth on Cape Cod, uh, developing the second 
age-friendly community in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. uh, which we started thanks to our Director of Aging Services in 2013. And uh, we were admitted to the World Health Organization's network in uh, 2014. Uh, but it involves doing an assessment of all of the older adults in the community, asking them how this town is doing in relationship mm -hmm. to these different functions. And uh, then we can, we have developed policies or changed policies and worked on facilities uh, based on, on what's needed and what's wanted by those older adults. So it's mainly to get, get the, the client's voice in there, uh, to get the older adult to speak up. Right, right. And many times I think part of that is there's a psychological component because when people do become older, they kind of, some people, not all, but kind of fade into the background. They've been told their, their voice isn't important anymore, that nobody really cares about what they have to say because they're no longer maybe a contributing uh, member of the traditional workforce, that they don't matter anymore. And that's really unfortunate. And, and families do that, too. I've spoken with many families and, and older people who have said, gee, uh, they're, they're having an interview with someone or a conversation with their, their, their adult child with someone else. And it's like they're not even there. They're talking about the person. Uh, but it's almost like they are um, invisible. Yes. And, and, and that creates a feeling inside people so they just don't even bother. Wasn't it... Uh, you and I were talking about age-friendly communities the, uh, the other day, and you were saying that where you live, there are no sidewalks. Right. Right? So how are people going to get out and walk um, and, and have exercise out of doors if there are no sidewalks? I mean, that could be a fear. I'm, I'm in my late 60s. I mean, I would find that uncomfortable. Well, that's often the case also in suburbs. Right. Exactly. Yeah, because they expect the people are going to drive in their driveways and go in the garage. And, that you know, they're probably not, you know, there's not going to be enough traffic. It won't be bothersome. But often there is, is too much traffic to safely walk on those streets. Uh, I, I, I was really quite disappointed here at our town meeting a couple of nights ago because uh, they said that they had cut some elements of their regular budget in order to do this new wastewater treatment facility. And lo and behold, the, 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 they usually do two, try to do two sidewalks a year, create them. And uh, now the, there's no more sidewalk budget for this next year. <laughs> I mean, and there's another element to that besides the fear of uh, walking where there's traffic and there, there's no pathway for that i mean they have bicycle paths i don't know if they yes. have bicycle paths we there. have we have wonderful bicycle oh, paths but they're not thinking through, about through the woods yeah. right right exactly but uh there's another element to it where if you're walking on a road there are many uneven surfaces uh there are stones there are cracks there are things that could be uh impeding the the walk walk area and uh, whereas if you have a sidewalk, it's more of a level surface. And as people get older, if they have any mobility or balance issues or stability issues, that becomes a more precarious situation as well and can contribute to falls. So there, there's more to it than just the traffic. 
believe me, I know so well because I know I'm 88 and I take that walking stick with me everywhere I go. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, but there are some people actually that don't want to be seen in public with such a thing uh-huh. because they're all stigmas associated with these things, as you and I well know. And it really becomes problematic because it affects a person's quality of life. Uh, you know, I started in this uh, was inspired, let's say, uh, to get into this space when my grandmother was in a nursing home. I was 15 years old, and she was in a nursing home near my home. And I helped take care of her for a couple of weeks while my parents were on vacation. But the uh, the reason she wound up in the nursing home was because she lived about two and a half hours from us. Of course, this was back in the day, <laughs> whatever, whatever day. And uh, she had broken her hip, and she also had Parkinson's disease. And my mother used to travel about two and a half hours by bus and train uh, because she didn't drive. But the thing about why I bring this up is she was embarrassed to go out of her house with a walker after she had broken her hip. And even though that was then and this is now, there are still people who I happen to know feel that way. Absolutely. I would think, to be honest, I might be one of them. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to use that cane. I don't call it a cane. It's a walking stick. Okay, I like that. Listen, you could get all kinds of fancy ones. You could get decorative ones. I mean, if that makes you feel any better. And uh, there are antique walking sticks and all kinds of things. But, But people do when they see somebody, especially if they appear to be older in years they have they form an impression about that right. and uh that's a, that's where it starts well i i wanted to bring up another issue that uh is a deep concern to me right now uh, and that's because of the fact that i mentioned that i was it, i'm interested in that whole topic of work meaningful work my mantra is meaningful work paid or unpaid through the last breath You know what, on that note, let's take a break and we'll come back from the break and continue this fantastic conversation. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. Rubina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3 providing support services to seniors, families, and the community. Olive's Live, Learn, and Thrive programs engage seniors physically, mentally, and socially. Rubina's passion for seniors stems from her experiences as an only child, living miles away from her aging parents who are over 90 years of age. She understands the issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org for further information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. 
If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the hosts at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. We're having a wonderful conversation with Jan Hively from the Pass It On Network. And right before we left uh, to the break, uh, Jan, you were saying something about meaningful work, paid or unpaid, through the last breath. And then in the break, we were talking about some very interesting initiatives and concerns that you have about the younger population um, and as they're coming up and how they're going to think about their work life and how long that will extend. So, yeah, let's pick it up where we left (laughs) off. Well, the, uh, you know, the, the great news for all of us is that we're in a longevity economy. Right. Um, a, a, a young woman, who, a, a girl who was born this week, uh, one out of three of them can, can plan to live to be 100. Oh, wow. It's really dramatic expansion of longevity. And of course, that's thanks to the various vaccines and the various uh, uh, kinds of uh, uh, medical miracles that have come along. Obviously, uh, those statistics that I mentioned don't take into account COVID, uh, but uh, uh, that will set aside. Right. Uh, uh, I think the point is that we have this potential if we if we live well and we pay attention to exercising what I call the, the primary dimensions of positive aging, uh, each one of which uh, can be exercised by any one of us, even with those with disabilities. And that means that we need to have physical exercise, mental exercise, social interaction, uh, 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 emotional. Uh, I always say, you know, there's nothing better than having a good argument with someone <laughs> <laughs> because you can rally your thoughts. And right, you, absolutely. And there's passion and energy and exchange and all of that stuff. Right. 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 Show right. your anger. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, and vocational exercise that we're, so are we going to talk about in relationship to thinking about work? Uh, productivity and uh, spiritual exercise, all six of those dimensions. I'll I'll just mention them again, physical, mental, social, emotional, uh, vocational, and spiritual. All of those are within my power Mm -hmm. to affect. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a couple of other dimensions that we have much less control over, and that's economic and environmental. Right. we We can work on it. But the main, the main thing is that we need to uh, work with people to help themselves uh, so that they will have the capacity to have uh, excellent quality of life throughout life. Uh, there's a guy, who, a doctor who writes named Roger Landry, uh, and uh, he has a book that he calls Live Long, Die Short. Because oh. that's what's happening. That's the good news. And by the way, there will be many more of us aging in place in our own places, uh, given the range of care that we want to support. But what I, the concern that I have here has to do with this issue of financial security, uh, because so many people, uh, even in the middle of COVID now, 
are being laid off uh, uh, rather than simply furloughed. They tend to be older people, much higher percentage of uh, people over the age of 55 mm-hmm. are not being asked to come back. And of course, that's part of the overall ageism in relationship to hires. Right. Uh, they, 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 we, we do face ageism in the workplace. And they, the, in addition to that, however, uh, you know, we have expectations that we're going to be able to collect our Social Security and go off and play golf and do our traveling and so forth, and that we'll be able to live on whatever we get. Well, Social Security now is, is, is uh, hopefully, we continue that. Mm-hmm. We cannot no longer count on employer pensions. Employers are now moving people to 401ks. But, but now we have 46% of the workforce who are part of this contract economy. They work on a temporary basis. They're really self-employed. They work part-time. They don't have any fringe benefits, including and especially a pension uh, or even access to a 401k. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, the, the level, uh, we, at the same time, when we talk about Gen X, the generation of people who are now up to age 55, uh, you, you, you can, you're dealing with a population in which fewer than half uh, have, are collecting the retirement savings that they're going to need to live long. Uh, we need, therefore, to be able to have access to learning uh, for the skills so that we can work in our, out of our homes, we can work on the computer, uh, we can uh, uh, fill jobs that are, are needed. Uh, and to think about planning for that is a big deal. Uh, uh, that means that education institutions have to be more open to provide skills education and people are short-term courses or just certificates, uh, vocational Uh, schools need to open up. Uh, Employers themselves need to be more uh, focused on making sure that they understand that actually an older employee, if you hire a 65-year-old, they're actually likely to stay longer than a 30-year-old because, you know. You know, I, I have to just say a few years ago, um, I had a, a kind of an experience with this, not a hundred percent, but a few years ago, it's not that long ago, um, there was a nursing home near me who needed some help. And a friend of mine who worked for a staffing agency asked me to um, go speak with them. And um, I went in a, it was just five minutes. They were like, when can you start? And okay. So, uh, but shortly after that, I became a little friendly with the director and what she told me was, well, well, they saw my resume. So they saw, even though my date of birth isn't on there, obviously the year I received my degree, my master's degree is on there. So that's quite a while ago. That was in the early 70s. They were very reluctant because they didn't know who they were really going to see. And they said to themselves, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but then when they met me, it became a different story. But how many people, especially if you have to submit these things online now, um, you know, that, that's already uh, moved to the side. And another thing that came to my mind as we're speaking, 
is a lot of people have been laid off now in this whole COVID situation, or they have to live from uh, work from home. And um, while older people have an advantage in that they can work from home now, and they don't have to think about traveling and, and the distance that might be required, you know, for them to get to the workplace. Um, however, on the other hand, there are so many younger people who are now also laid off that I think it will be even more difficult. And if they were bringing people back, with the advent that COVID is, um, you know, more people older are more susceptible and more vulnerable, I would think that workplaces would also be more reluctant to bring older people back. So there are many aspects of this that are being impacted by COVID. Ageism is is, uh, actually expanding in this period. Right. Uh, which is which is a big issue uh, because uh, it, it, it's so worrisome for people. Uh, you can imagine, right? Uh, and uh, uh, I'm sure that each one of us has has uh, relatives or friends who are in the situation of not having that re- those retirement savings. Uh, and uh, what are we going to do about it? Well. Personally, I feel that we all need to get together and lobby for change in public policy because I do feel that countries, uh, I mentioned the Pasadena Network is global. We have 100 liaisons in 65 countries. Uh, Our our liaison in Denmark tells us about what they call flex security. That means that you have a portable pension fund. That is there from the you know the the get go from the time that you start working for the first time, and you carry that with you, and it's good whether you're in a contract job or whatever. Mm. It's a certain percentage, and the government helps out with that. Uh, the employers need to pay into it, whoever they are. Uh, so uh, we need to really figure out a different system so that we, we can build more security into it. That's, right. my, that's my point. It, it sounds to me like it's almost like um, the money follows the person program and the Medicaid program. That, uh, yes, exactly. Very similar. I actually lived in Denmark for six months in 1973. I actually did post-undergraduate work at the University of Copenhagen. I lived with a family. So I'm a little versed with what the system was like. And you know, it, there's something to be said for not having to worry about education, elder care, child care, health care. I mean, yes, they pay higher taxes, but there's something to be said for not having to worry about those issues. Right. In Singapore, for example, I, th- I think they do like the best planning for everybody. Uh, they have to because they're landlocked on their, on their island. <clears throat> but um, they have, they offer a fund for you uh, that you can use, uh, whatever it is, a f- 1500 whatever their, their, their uh, currency is. But uh, they offer that so that you can use it for, for education throughout life. Uh, and they also have uh, old vocational guidance for older adults. Oh, that's beautiful. That's very important, I think. Uh, that, let's just, you know, people say, well, heck, I mean, I, I wouldn't, how could I be qualified? Think about two great big uh, opportunities right now, which is a telehealth, right. coordination of telehealth. Uh, and expanding telehealth, by the way, 
to include those services that are necessary for well-being beyond simply for, uh, you know, your medical health. Right. Uh, I'm very impressed by the fact that I feel that the health care community is adding things, for example, food and nutrition, mm-hmm. so that you can almost like get a prescription for getting food from the farmer, fresh food from the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. Those things should be uh, feasible along with the prescriptions from the drugstore. Oh, that's terrific because, yeah, I mean, how are you going to maintain your health and well-being if you're not eating healthily? I mean, that's goes without saying. Definitely goes without saying. That's an interesting um, an interesting thing to think about. I do think well, there, there are just a lot of opportunities. And when you mentioned that you'd gone to the long-term care facility, I think just when we think about the word caring itself right. uh, or caregiving, there are so many different versions of that. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to age in place, which is what most people want to do to stay in their own home, uh, then, you know, I need somebody to uh, uh, drive, drive me. Uh, I need, I want to have somebody who will help me with meals. I want to do somebody to do the cleaning and the shoveling. And so, I mean, it's a whole range mm-hmm. of community support that I need. And I should be able to get that easily accessible uh, and I do think now that there are, that's a whole business in itself mm-hmm. for helping people to coordinate um, what it is that they need so that they could be happy. Yeah, there are different kinds of uh, aging in place initiatives. You and I talked about them. There are small residential care homes. And then there's something called shared housing. I don't think a lot of people know about that. And I know that's something that uh, you're interested in. So do you want to yes. tell us a little bit about yes. that? Uh, everything related to home sharing uh, here on Cape Cod, for example, you, it's like the the largest retirement community on, on the East Coast. We actually in our county have a, a, a over we're uh, up to thirty percent now. Oh wow! Uh, but it's interesting because so many people live in large houses who'd like to stay in those houses. Right. And there are so many other young younger people who'd like to work here and live here, but they can't possibly afford the housing. Right. Uh, uh, you know, the cheapest, the, the rentals really aren't uh, readily available. Right. And if they are, you, you would be hard put to find anything under 1700 a month. Right. So uh, you see, uh, what, so the idea then is if you share, and in the case of my cousin for whom we were caregiver, we found a, a delightful person who, uh, had the, the whole second floor because my cousin couldn't climb stairs anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, she uh, would uh, make a sandwich uh, breakfast for, the, for my cousin and leave her a sandwich in the, in the, uh, in the refrigerator for lunch. And uh, uh, she would also drive her to the doctor's. Oh, so, so that's a wonderful uh, that's, opportunity. That, that, that means that she didn't pay any rent. And okay. in fact... My cousin insisted upon paying her. Uh-huh. So uh, it was a good deal. And, and it's, it, there are other more uh, other kinds of uh, uh, ideas, which is, uh, you know, three older people coming together and living 
uh, turning into a, a home into a condominium. Right. Uh, there's also, I think, much more interest in accessory housing. Right. So that you can uh, allow the rental unit uh, adjacent, uh, built onto the Right. Home. They're called accessory dwelling units. Yes. Uh, other, other people call them mother-in-law units. Right, right. True. Uh, so that you can have the mother-in-law there, or uh, if you're the mother-in-law, you can move into it uh, right. uh, from the big house to the little place and put your children in the big house. And then there are other kinds of initiatives. There are the pods. There's um, Bill Thomas's Minka Homes. Yes, I love that. We hope to do a sample Minka Home on the grounds of our senior center. And by the way, I was thrilled that Dr. Bill Thomas, uh, the author, the founder of Eden Alternative and Changing Aging, uh, has uh, endorsed, written an introduction, a foreword to your book. Is that yes, correct? a foreword. Yes, I'm equally oh, thrilled. I'm that thrilled. is absolutely marvelous. I can't wait to see your new book. It's oh, great. Th- thanks so much. Yeah, I'm still pinching myself that, that he was willing to do that. So it's really special. The Minka House, and let's just mention what that means for yes. people. Uh, uh, let's see, think, think of a unit that's like on a pond, and you, mm-hmm. usually they kind of face a nice view. And it's like it has a sloping roof so that it's high in the front, so you can have a great big floor-to-ceiling window to look out on that view. And it's sloping down and back, which is where the bathroom and kitchen is. Uh, so that you have one very, it's made up, usually made up of one ver- large room uh, that you walk into and a bathroom and then the kitchen area and the dining area. Uh, uh, Bill originally designed that home for a daughter who was, is never been able to sit up. Uh, she doesn't have the spine. Uh, and uh, she has always wanted to be independent. So it's hooked up with a special equipment, all with smart computer equipment, so that she has a, a, a belt under her back, and it literally carries her in, in the harness to the bathroom, to the, uh, to the kitchen, to the table. And it's, it's amazing, it's amazing. Minka can be uh, is 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 pre-made. It can, right, they're prefabricated. Right. It, it can come to you in a truck. Right. And they can assemble it. But the the beauty of it is that it can also be equipped uh, to uh, prepare, be prepared for people with disabilities in a mm. variety of ways. Mm-hmm. So I just I think it's wonderful, and I do think that uh, it's a it's a sample really of other kinds of uh, prefab units which are coming along. I, I think that the purpose of it was also that that uh, people don't, nece- not that people want to live in a smaller space, but there comes a time when a smaller space is, is better suited for you and more functional. And um, that it has all the necessities that you need um, or, or would want in a way, hopefully, in a, in a smaller, more manageable area. Yes. Yeah, that was. Well, the- it's interesting right now. Thinking about COVID, uh, I, uh, uh, I the second cousin that we've cared for has now passed away, and um, my friend back in Minnesota, uh, 
wrote and said, oh, okay, so shall I look for a condominium for you here? Are you going to move back? Uh, and I thought about that building with that elevator and all the people in the halls, and I thought, no, it's right. really nice to be in your own home. Right, absolutely. And um, the, the the small residential care homes, I know some people who are um, who own them or and are building them, um, is another nice concept. It's absolutely it's, the greenhouse know. project, for example. Right, exactly. Um, um, you can have your own your own right room and bath, and then you can share the social space. Right. Uh, it says they have a hearth and a fireplace on one end of the room and the, right. the dining area on the other where they all eat together. Right. And so it's like you could have three people, five people. Um, I think they can have in a, in a residential care home, depends on what state you're in, um, what county in that state. I know somebody whose mother had a residential care home. She had about 10 people in her home. Mm. Where I am in Connecticut, I think it varies between five and eight people. Um, but it's, it's another wonderful idea about people, like you say, um, you know, getting to a certain age and maybe uh, they're, they're widowed or, or they're a widower and, um, or, or maybe they weren't, but they don't have families or their families live away or living with their family isn't a possibility or something that's desired. And this is a wonderful way. So you're, not, you're, you're living independently, but you're kind of living amongst others so you're, you're not alone. That's right. Which is important because being alone and being isolated has tremendous detrimental effects on, per, on people's cognitive abilities and it leads to depression and all kinds of things. Well, yes, I think that um, uh, there's a, I'm 88 now and um, there's this, um, Lars Tornstam was a Swedish sociologist who developed the thinking about gyro transcendence, which is um, people in later life, toward the end of life, uh, uh, really um, focusing more on what's, what's happening inside and connecting mm -hmm. with spirituality and so forth. Um, and it's interesting because uh, he asked, uh, he did a survey on loneliness and he found that actually older adults, even many who were living by themselves, were the least lonely hmm. and the adolescents were the most lonely. And why was that? Uh, well, the adolescents are, are very concerned. Well, they feel that there's no one to support who, they, who they're beginning to be. Right. Becoming. I don't know why, but what he what I did learn from it is what uh, he has trained uh, people in long-term care facilities to make sure that when they see somebody looking out the window, staring out the window, or rocking on the porch, that they don't assume that they're lonely. Oh, that's a <laughs> They wonderful. may actually be and totally engaged. Right. So and there's a very big difference. When I did this uh, course, when I wrote this course, Resilience Toolbox Secret, Secrets, I talk about the difference between being alone and being lonely. Good. And, uh, there are all times when we need alone time. Right. And oh, that's and when we when we when we want to have together time. We the question right. is so the fine. problem becomes for people who 
want to have the together time and don't have those opportunities or connections. That's really when the problem arises, I believe. But alone time is really when the great thinkers and some of the most creative people come up with their creative ideas and brainstorms. Um, And you need that time not only to relax your mind and your body, but to let your mind explore a range of ideas that you have. But I just, my, my sister is 98 years old and uh, her uh, totally with it, uh, except that um, she uses a walker mm-hmm. uh, and her family moved her in April to a long-term care facility, which is very nice. She's on the first floor, but she's been on lockdown since she's mm-hmm. been there. And uh, it's, she's in that room. And that's a terrible thing. And the uh, people come and knock on the window, and she can talk over her cell phone, cell phone with them on their phone outside the window. Um, I have asked her previously when she's been living by herself for several, many years, uh, uh, are you ever lonely? Are you ever bored? She said, no, I've never been bored in my life. But oh, when I ask that. her that now, she's oh. bored. Yeah, interesting. I just read an article earlier today about this one uh, assisted living community, and they built what they called, they didn't build it, it's like a little a tent. And um, I only read part of the article, and it was like the opportunity for it, like a hug tent, H-U-G, <laughs> hug tent, so that families would have an opportunity to visit with their loved ones and be in a, a, a space where they could have physical contact and hug each other because, as we all know, physical contact is very important for thriving. That would not be allowed in this space. <laughs> <laughs> and it really is very disturbing to me. Right. So I'm trying to figure out, maybe somebody has some ideas about, about what games you can play. Uh, because she doesn't use the computer uh, very, very easily. What about, um, you know, there's IN2L, it's never too late. Well, there's a granddaddy pad, and then there's uh, IN2L, Jack York's technology, engagement technology, that is really terrific for people who are uh, in that situation. Let's, let's, uh, I'll, send uh, you a, I'll send you a connection to Jack York. He's terrific. Excellent. Great. He's really terrific. You know, I think we're coming to the end, but this has really been fantastic. I really I love having this convers- these kinds of conversations about how we're thinking about older people, how older people are thinking about themselves. I feel as if I can't let this go, though, without mentioning the fact that I, I work with this wonderful partner named Moira Allen, who is based in Paris. And I'm, I think you're going to hear from her at some point. Yes. Um, I, well, we were on the call together. That's how we met. She's terrific. Exactly. So and the two of us started this organization in 2013, which is this network of older adults. And we started it to show uh, that uh, we are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the people who have enough wisdom and experience to uh, create some leadership and it's been really interesting and you'll be hearing from her about how people have been popping up here and there and meeting each other and collaborating and really 
doing exciting things. So. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to collaborating with you right. guys also. So uh, before we go, is there any way, uh, contact information you want to give people or they can yes. look up this, uh, you know, about Pass It On or any other of your other initiatives? Well, yes, a Pass It On Network is passitonnetwork.org. It's pretty okay. simple, yeah. passitonnetwork.org. And, and uh, uh, I'd love to have them go. It's all free, a free, free subscription to our newsletter. There's a good start, way to go. Okay. Uh, put in your email and we would send that once a month. Oh, that sounds terrific. Well, Jen, this has just been terrific. So thank, thank you. It's a thank pleasure you. to know you, Phyllis. Likewise. Thanks for generously sharing your time. And um, this conversation was just so enlightening. And the valuable work you do, the valuable information you have for our listeners is just, I mean, it can't be beat. That's all I have to say. It's going to be a real treasure for people to hear from you. So I just want to sign off and say, please join us on our next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. This is Phyllis Amon signing off for today. And please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms. 